Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Please stand with us. Sing along. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want See you to see you high 
Our praise band will be leading us for another song, but let me read Psalm 117. And for those of you that find a way, my name is Gary Isaacs. I'm the associate here. Our pastor uh, and his family have come down with something. Um, so, yeah, you're going to the bench today. Um, but Psalm 117 says something so exquisite. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. And then he says this, and this might not mean much to people, but it says, praise the Lord. Amen. So if you're here at Northside for the first time, this is our, this is what we do during this time. We welcome each other. And so for those of you that see others here, please don't be embarrassed if some people come to you and greet you. But this is where we introduce ourselves. So this is a moment in time where you get to say Happy New Year or Merry Christmas if you haven't seen anyone. So please, welcome each other. find your way. If you go ahead and stand with us again. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come 
pray that the uh, tithes and offering about to receive go to further the uh, kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shepherds, my. 
Children's Church kiddos can be dismissed. If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. As I tell my students, and I'm teaching them, if you got it, say I got it. Isaiah 6, we'll be reading verses 1 through 8. All right, Mr. Bryan's got it. Isaiah chapter 6. There you go. Got another one. All right. Please stand as we read verses 1 through 8 of Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Please be seated. We live in a world that is very good about talking about God. Yet how often do we stop to talk about the God that we're actually talking about? It's a strange thing when you think about it. People all over the world, even people who say they don't believe in God, will often be talking about God. Yet they do not stop to explain who it is they're talking about when they're talking about Him. Many of us, if you're sitting here and are honest, operate with just a God of our own conception. We've kind of fixed it all together in our own mold and thought and pattern over the years that we have been alive, and we put it together and we say, well, this is who he is. This is what he is. As someone has observed, God created us in his image, and ever since then, we've been returning the favor by creating him in our image. Even if you talk to someone who is a, an atheist, or an agnostic, 
who are not sure they believe in God or reject the idea of God, even they must have, they must have some idea of the God that they are rejecting. So what do we actually talk about when we're talking about God? What do we mean? We just read through a very important text in Isaiah 6. It is Isaiah's life-transforming vision of God and his subsequent call to his prophetic ministry. It is arguably one of the most important, well-known passages in Isaiah's prophecy. And this is kind of a... This is how I see this. It is a dramatic testimony of a sinful man who had a violent encounter with God and lived to tell about it. Isaiah's gaze was lifted above and beyond his physical surroundings and he received a vision of God that immediately, completely, permanently changed his life. If you are a Christian, you're sitting here today, God has completely altered the fabric of your life. Where, where you go, what you do, how you do it, it's impacted that. Now, we cannot have Isaiah's personal vision of God, but we must and need to have his resulting view of God. A.W. Tozer was right when he said, the greatest need of the moment, and this was written many years ago, but I still think is prevalent today, the greatest need of the moment is that light-hearted, superficial religionist be struck down with the vision of God. A God, like he says here, high and lifted up, with his train filling the temple. Your view of God is everything. Your view of God is everything. Without it, you have nothing. Only when God is put in the right perspective is everything else brought into focus. Some of you are parents. How you view God is how you would focus your parenting. How you go about your work, how you view God is how you do your work to the glory of Him. So let's walk through. Let's walk through this vision. And I've split it into three parts. And I've got it as God is sovereign, God is holy, and God is gracious. And we're going to walk through this as quickly and slowly as I like. So the Bible is clear. God is sovereign. That we cannot see God with the naked eye. John chapter 4 verse 24 says, God is spirit. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 says that God dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Yet Isaiah says, we just read it, I saw the Lord. How could Isaiah see the invisible God? Well, we get an indication of what Isaiah actually saw in the title ascribed to God. When you read through this, the title ascribed to God here is the Lord. The Lord. And for those of you that are struggling to keep up with this accent, I apologize. You can come and ask me later. Lord. The title Lord is used here in verse 1. 
And it's also used in verse 3, but with a distinction, if you look at it. In verse 1, the L is capitalized with the O-R-D in lowercase letters. In verse 3, the L is capitalized with the O-R-D in small, but also capitalized. This is the translator's way of indicating that there are two different words he's using. In verse 3 and throughout the Old Testament, when the word Lord, all capitals, is translated, it means the word Yahweh. The covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It means the self-existent one. Verse 1, the word Lord is spelled with a lowercase letters. It translates the word Adonai, master. But it means the sovereign one, the king. So Isaiah saw a vision of God's sovereign authority. He saw a king on a throne, high and lifted up. And this is further indicated by Isaiah in verse 5, where you read, My eyes have seen the king. I don't know how many of you have been in uh, a royal's presence, however you may feel about them. But I've, I've had conversations with people that have actually met the queen. Met the queen. Shook her hands. And they say that it's something all surreal. It's not like meeting your neighbor. It's not like meeting your state senator. Well, today people say it's not like meeting your president, however you may feel. But Isaiah says here, my eyes have seen the king. And this vision of the Lord enthroned in heavens gives us, and this is how I'm going to phrase the sermon, it gives us a descriptive definition of God. You want to know what God is? This is who he is. He is the sovereign Lord. So there are three things I want to unpack with the sovereign Lord. He's eternal, he's transcendent, and he is majestic. We listen to music, we see wide open vistas, and we say that this is majestic, uh, this is amazing. The sovereign Lord is eternal. Verse 1 dates Isaiah's vision. In the year that King Uzziah died, who was Uzziah? Uzziah was the ninth king of Judah. He took the throne at the age of 16. He reigned for 52 years. According to 2 Chronicles 26, Uzziah was magnificently helped by the Lord. He led Judah to political, military, and economic greatness that people would look back on and say, these are the days of David and Solomon. This is great. This is wonderful. But when Uzziah became strong, Uzziah's heart was lifted up, as so many of us are often prone to do, lifted up in pride to his own destruction. He defied God's sovereignty. He violated God's holiness by intruding into priestly service. So God struck him with leprosy. And he died in isolation from the kingdom he built. We all need to, we all need to understand where we stand in the grand schemes of things with God. We are not kings of our own making. You do not build your own kingdoms in this world. God, as you will see as I unpack it, God rules and reigns. He is the king. He will always be king. 
So what are you going to do about it? In the year King Uzziah died, and that's where we get Isaiah 6, in that year, God revealed himself to Isaiah as the Holy One who is enthroned in sovereign authority forever. Forever. This is saying a king has died. All other kings before him had died. It doesn't matter who's coming next as that king because God is enthroned on high. A hundred years from now, every head of state in the world today will be off the scene. They'll be gone. But as these earthly rulers relinquish their power or have their power relinquished, God will still be sitting on his throne. Still. High and lifted up. He's eternal, but he's also transcendent. Isaiah says this, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Anything God is sitting on has infinite height. Infinite height. You know, it's kind of like looking up, coming into this room if you've never been in here, you're going, man, this is quite high. But then you can go to another church and you're going to go, man, that's even higher. The Lord is transcendent. Far above our minds can even comp- uh, comprehend. Not only is God on, the, on his throne when men have given up their thrones, but while men occupy their thrones, God's throne is high and lifted up above all others. There's nobody that will dethrone him. There's nobody that will take his place. He is God. But he's also majestic. Notice verse 1 again. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the ancient Near East, a king's greatness would be displayed by the length of his train. The length of his robe. But while human kings competed with one another for greatness, Isaiah saw the all-consuming majesty of God. And his train blanketed everything around him. Now you've Many of you have been to weddings before. And you've seen the brides come down the aisle and they have their dresses on and, that, and they have this train, this bridal train behind them and you're going, ooh and ah. And many of you are thinking, yes, you have four, ooh and ah, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, some of you are still thinking about that. But I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine the bride is about to enter in and the ushers are helping her get her train in the doors and trying to fit it down because they're trying to get ready. And then as, as she comes in, she's, she's walking down and her train is just spreading because they've got it in. The doors are closed. But to, to, to kind of help us understand what Isaiah looked at, filled, I want you to imagine it's not just filling this aisle, it's filling all the people. It's covering all the people, all the chairs. See, when Isaiah saw the Lord... The train of his robe filled the temple. He's majestic. He's transcendent. He is eternal. He is sovereign. But secondly, God is holy. 
He is holy. And there are two things that I'm going to concentrate on now, going from verse 2, is that God's holiness is put on display by the seraphim's posture and praise. Two things. When you walk into a room of a king, you do not walk however you like. You do not speak however you want to. There are rules for a human king. I promise you, if you go into the presence of God, as we'll read, things happen. Things happen. You will be put in your place. So, God's holiness is displayed in the seraphim's posture. Verse 2, it says, Above him, above him, stood the seraphim. That word means, seraphim means burning ones. Apparently, they looked a lot like humans. In verse 2, it mentions their, their faces and their feet. And verse 6 mentions their hands. But they're unlike humans in two specific ways. Uh, the, the word seraphim, burning ones, tells us that they, that they looked something like humans, but they were on fire. Second, they had six wings, which they did two things with. They flew, they had certain assignments they needed to do. But I want you to understand this. Their primary, their primary focus was praising the Lord. That's what they were doing here. But you see a finite creature like a seraphim, cannot just go about doing what they do without, without acknowledging, without posturing themselves towards God in the right way. Some people said that these seraphims were guardian angels for God. No, no. God doesn't need protection. No. God's holiness is so great. His separation from His creation is so infinite. And His moral excellence is so brilliant what did these seraphim do? They covered themselves. It was too dangerous for them to look at God or have God look at them. We read in Exodus 3 of Moses. Moses saw a bush on fire that wouldn't burn up. It shocked him. He had to get a closer look. And in Exodus 3 verse 5, God says, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Likewise, the seraphim were in his holy presence. What did they do? They covered themselves. Notice how the seraphim's posture. Four of the six wings were used to shield them from the... And yes, this might, you might not think of, it, of this like this, but the consuming holiness of God. God is altogether holy to be in the presence of sin. Think about verse 5. Isaiah says, if you read there, Woe is me, for I am undone. That is the appropriate response when sinful people enter into the presence of God. But when a seraphim is there, you're like, he's not human. There's no righteous unrighteousness there you might be thinking but they are holy angels but they're still creatures it is necessary for them to shield their eyes from the direct gaze of god god is not just set apart from sin he's set apart from all creation so even the angels 
that are there. Better beware. You and I, we better beware. Even though we're about to finish off 2023 and enter 2024, at the top of your list of to-dos is where do you stand? Where do you stand in relation to God? What is your relationship like? Are you in right standing with God or not? So how are you displaying God's holiness with your posture? But secondly, God's holiness is declared in the seraphim's praise. I mean, what do they sing? They sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That phrase, holy, 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 is called the the triagios, the thrice holy God statement. Um, To say that God is holy once, it's enough. To say that God is holy twice is emphatic. To say that God is holy three times is superlative. God is so holy that our minds cannot comprehend it. Our mouths cannot fully express it. So the writers, John and Isaiah specifically, would go on to say, holy, holy, holy. The Bible never speaks about God and says loving, loving, loving. It doesn't say powerful, powerful, powerful. It doesn't say wise, wise, wise. It says holy, holy, holy. Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, in John's description of God's throne room, it says, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so the seraphim praised the Lord in song. But it ends that part, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. I mean, how many of us would, in our prayers, we would say that statement, the whole earth is full of, and we would be like, really? His glory? Because we would often say, no, he, the whole earth is full of crime, full of division, full of war. You see, the seraphim didn't define the condition of the earth based on the evening news. They looked at the world through the lens of God's holiness and saw that God's righteousness will one day be vindicated. There is going to come a day where God will make all things right. So even with sin and sorrow and suffering in the world, they were able to say, holy, 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 is the, Lord God, is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And what is the impact of that praise? It says there in verse 4, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. God's holiness is put on display by praise. How are you? as you count off 2023 and enter 2024, how are you displaying God's holiness by praising Him? 
How are you praising him in your day's work and in your care for your family? And I'm not just talking about your immediate family. I'm talking about your extended family, those that you spend time with. God has put you in your position with your knowledge of him, with your relationship with him. He's put you in your position on your platform for his glory. How do you display his holiness in your your praises to him in your daily life? God is sovereign. Amen. God is holy. But lastly, God is gracious. God is gracious. Many years ago, um, this is a C.S. Lewis story. Many years ago, there was a a conference on comparative religions that was going on in C.S. Lewis's town. Um, And so the question was, what makes Christianity distinct from any other religion? And uh, they went through the questions, is it incarnation? Is it resurrection? And it came to C.S. Lewis, who, by the way, wandered in late to this meeting. And... Coming from the back, he's nudging the person from, be, from the back, and he says, what is this all about? And without flinching, he stood up. There were no hands up. He stood up, and he said, that's an easy question. <laughs> the thing that makes Christianity unique is the doctrines of grace. The good news of amazing grace is uniquely Christian uniquely Christian. Every other religion teaches people how to reach up to God in one way or another. And you might say, no, but that's not true. You might be trying to do something to earn favor with God, one way or another. But Christians begin, Christianity begins by declaring that all of us are sinners who can never earn the righteous merit needed to fully satisfy God's demands. But God in His grace reached down to us, condescended down to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because of the impeccable life, because of the atoning death and glorious resurrection of Jesus, that's grace, friends. That's grace. Isaiah shifts when it goes from verses 1 through 4 to five through eight, he shifts where the focus was on the throne and in verses eight through five through eight, it's, it's, the focus is on the altar. So if Isaiah's vision would have ended with the view of God's sovereignty, him as king, it would have been somewhat, well, what are we gonna do? We're undone. It would have been a living nightmare of condemnation, judgment, and wrath. What a tragedy would have been the throne without the altar, holiness without grace, guilt without forgiveness. Praise God that God is a God of unmerited favor, sparing mercy, steadfast love, unfailing compassion, unchanging goodness. You know who God is, that's him. And so we see these things in three things for Isaiah. Isaiah's confession, Isaiah's cleansing, and Isaiah's commission. There are many today 
um, who would claim to have visions of God. And, and many times when you read or see these things, they're wonderful, useful, joyful, sometimes profitable encouragements. So much so that these people would write books, have you go on their tours, and become religious celebrities, telling you of their vision of God. But not Isaiah. No. Verse 5 reports, so I said, woe is me. The word woe refers to more than just grief or sorrow or regret. It is a word of divine judgment. Isaiah is declaring judgment on himself. In fact, that's why the story of Isaiah's call to prophetic ministry is placed in the sixth chapter. In chapters 1 through 5, it records judgment coming. In chapter 5, the word woe is used seven times in six different messages of judgment. But if you read through the scripture, woes usually come in sevens. So God placed the story logically rather than chronologically in order to show that the first woe was declared on the prophet who declared the other six. So Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am lost, I am undone, I am ruined. And you want to know why he's ruined? Why is he undone? He says it. For I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And we're not told what specific sin he committed. Matthew says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Unclean lips are the result of an unclean heart. Isaiah Isaiah was convinced that his unclean heart had ruined him. Had ruined him. And he goes on to say, here's why. Why has this, why am I ruined? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Have you been in the presence of God? Because if you have, this is your response. You are undone. You are undone. Isaiah thought he was about to die in the presence of God. And that's the the consistent disposition of those who have seen the Lord of glory. It's consistent. You go and ask a Christian, what did you do to earn God's favor? It'll be consistent. We're ruined without the person and work of Jesus Christ. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he thought he was going to die. He thought he was going to die. But he didn't. He didn't. And that's the point. God's graciousness is demonstrated in the fact that you, that me, ought to have been dead because of our sin. Yet God has spared your life another day, another year. He has. You're sitting here by the grace of God. 
you are. So that's Isaiah's confession. Isaiah's cleansing in verses 6 and 7. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Notice this cleansing illustrated. Isaiah's cleansing was authored by God's will. Isaiah thought he was about to die. He didn't think forgiveness was available. He didn't ask for it. He didn't expect it. But although forgiveness was not on Isaiah's mind, it was on God's. Forgiveness is available to those For those that are seeking it. If you're seeking the Lord here today, forgiveness is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Isaiah's cleansing wasn't just accomplished by God's work, but it was affirmed by God's word. Not only did God assign the seraphim to apply Isaiah's cleansing, but he says this, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Purged, gone. We are not a people that are easily awed, amazed, appreciative of God's forgiveness. We're not. We will stand up and sing praises to God, but we are not easily awed. When we're booking it out of here after we say the benediction, we're like planning, and then Monday comes and we're planning. We are not easily awed, and we should be. We should be awed. We should be amazed. We should be appreciative for the forgiveness God has provided in Jesus Christ. We celebrate at Christmas, and we have all of these wonderful decorations, and we, we marvel at Jesus, the baby born. But folks, he is grown. He is a king. He has provided salvation. But lastly, it's not just left there. Isaiah doesn't just confess. He's not just cleansed to go about his business. No, he is commissioned. He is commissioned. In verse 8, and with this I close, Isaiah overhears God speaking in, in what people have called the divine court saying, whom shall I, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? I remember when I just became a Christian and the pastor I was, that was there at my church, uh, he was just like, just saying places you would like to send us as a church. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was just 18, I had no money. <laughs> I, I had nothing. But everywhere they wanted us to go, I said, put my name at the top of the list. Because what I have, what God has done for me, I want to share. This is too good of news to not want to share. So it says, Isaiah wasn't part of the conversation, but Isaiah butted in. 
he did. Because the question is asked, whom shall I send? And he knew he should have been dead, but here he is, alive, forgiven, right relationship with God. And he said, here I am, send me. He didn't even know what the mission was, but that didn't matter. Since God had spared him, saved him, Isaiah was willing to do whatever God wanted him to do. Whatever. So, I didn't even tell you the title of my sermon, but it's probably up there. There you go. A right view of God is everything. You need to evaluate your view of God. See if it lines up with Scripture. See if it lines up at all. Because if it doesn't, I encourage you to make it right. Speak to brothers around, sisters around us. Make sure that you are right with God. 2023 is about to depart. 2024 is about to come. No time to waste. Today is the day of salvation. You see, if you really understood what it means to be spared, to be saved and sanctified, you would say... Here I am. Send me. So live sin. Some of you think of that as Pastor Aaron's byline. That is God's line. Live sin. Wherever it is you go, as you enter 2024, whether it is your job, whether it is your family, whether it's school, whatever endeavors God has for you, live sin for his glory. And for your good, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, I just said amen, but let me pray. Lord, we are in awe of you. We are amazed, we are appreciative of all that you've done. But Lord, we know that far too often, Lord, you are high and lifted up. And far too often, we cannot comprehend what you have planned for us, what you would expect from us. But Lord, as Isaiah so clearly lays it out for us of who you are and what you've done in enabling us to be made right with you through the finished blood of Jesus, Lord, I pray that those that are here that do not have a relationship with you, are not right with you, Lord, that they would come, that they would come. And that they would be sons and daughters of the living God. And Christians, that they would come, Lord, and say, here I am, send me. I pray, Lord, as we sing the song, Lord, I pray that it would, it would echo in our hearts throughout this week. I pray that as we sing these words, Lord, I pray that we would understand what it says. You are a sovereign Lord, you are the king, you are a holy God, one set apart, we dare not just come any way we want, and you are gracious, you have made a way that we can come to you, so I pray bless the praises of your people, in Jesus' name.
Just a couple of announcements to make before I read the benedictions. Uh, 
friends, Northside, uh, I want to say on behalf of uh, Northside and, and the staff, thank you very much for your care and your love uh, during the year. Uh, for some of you that don't know, our pastor is at home caring for his family. They're going through strep, something of a flu, something. So pray for them. Uh, they're watching. Hi. Um, uh, pray for one another. It's not just the Ornsby's. We have many family and friends that are needing care, needing comfort, needing food, needing love. And I encourage you to reach out. <clears throat> for those of you making plans for tonight, I encourage you to reach out to make sure that people are taken care of, whoever they are. Uh, we have Buddy that's in hospital uh, right now, and people are unable to visit him because of the protocol the hospital has, but pray for him. Um, so I encourage you to do that. Uh, for those of you that are visiting, we're glad for you that you're visiting with us. Uh, if you want to let us know who you are, there's connection cards in front, uh, or you can scan this QR code uh, to let us know who you are. Don't worry, we're not going to bombard you. Well, I'm not going to bombard you with things. Um, but you can let us know who you are. Uh, church, the, the calendar at the back needs a little bit of editing, as you could have seen already. We have two New Year's Days in the month of January. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, tomorrow's the only one. Wednesday, we do have activities. Uh, so, yes, there you go. We have some people clapping hands. Wonderful. Um, but uh, tonight, there are no evening activities. So please go and spend some time with family and friends uh, um, bringing in the new year. But as is our custom, what we do at this point is we, we read together the, the Great Commission. This is that commission which the Lord Jesus was sending his disciples out. And I encourage you to say it with all your heart. So please read with me.